Hello, this is Ed Cohen, your broadcast host today on GlobalRadioTalkShow.com, a broadcast service of Global HR News and Global Business News. I'm in San Diego, and our special guest today is Carol hallett Mog, and she's in the UK. Hello, Carol. Hello there, Ed. Lovely to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for your time today. So it's 8.02 a.m. here in California, and what time is it now in the UK? Four o'clock in the afternoon. Okay, great. So first of all, I want to congratulate you on your work about moving with kids and all of that. And I understand you you have a book out. Tell us about your book, please. I do. My book's about choosing a school overseas for your children. And it's not specific to one country. It's a generic how to choose the right school for your child overseas. So how long did it take you to get from idea and testing it retesting it, and then finally getting it out? Far too long. Years. (laughs) (laughs) The whole idea of my website, expatchild.com, started off as me wanting to write a book about moving overseas with children. But I'm a great fan of something happening instantly, and writing a book wasn't going to happen instantly. So I started off a website and added an article a time. And after a while, I had a lot of articles, most of which were about choosing a school. And so, in effect, I ended up pulling all the articles together, editing them, and turning it into an actual hard copy book, just so I could say I did finally write a book. Yeah, so now it's like a big business card, isn't it? Yes, I suppose it is, yeah. But my site deals with all kinds of aspects of moving overseas with children. But the school side of it was a very important thing and it was useful to bring it all together into one specific copy. Okay and so are you distributing it yourself or do you have a company doing that for you? No it's on Amazon Um, isn't everything these days (laughs) so it's either on Kindle or you can get a hard copy and it's on all the Amazon sites around the world as far as I'm aware. And what about the corporate relocation people, the HR people in companies? Aren't you giving them some sample copies so they test it first? I don't really have, at the moment, much dealings with corporations. It's something I intend to change next year. Um, I'm very much of the individual and talking to the individual expats because companies tend to, well, just focus on the person doing the job. And it's the family who have to make their own way. And that's what I've always been working on. Yeah. Well, I think that's the authenticity and the validity. So it's perfect. However, we do have a lot of connections in the world of corporate HR. And I'm very happy to provide some introductions if you want. Oh, yes, please. Most definitely. I've been getting a lot of calls because I offer a consultancy service as well. I've been getting a lot of calls from people who want to take the opportunity to move abroad with their job and don't know how to handle their partner or their children with the move as well, because quite often the partner has to give up their own job. And of course, then the kids have to find a school and get them settled, while the worker simply carries on as normal, as it were. The worker has a place to go, and the spouse is, I wouldn't call it trapped, but... Some people would. (laughs) 
but yeah, the worker goes off to work a day or two after arrival. They've got the same job to do. They might meet a few new people, but it's the space, the partner who has to find out where the school is and find out where the pharmacy is. And if you're very lucky, a quick trip to A&E a few days after arriving, which I've done. Helping people navigate the challenges of moving and living overseas, at first it sounds glamorous and exciting, but it could be a bore, can't it? And I mean, a real challenge to who are you and what am I doing this for, right? It really can be. I mean, it is absolutely fantastic, and I, w- I don't regret any of it for a moment. And But day-to-day life can be tricky. And in some cultures and some companies, you find that the worker is expected to do a hell of a lot more than they were doing at home. And of course, they want to prove themselves and a lot of travel. And suddenly the partner at home just doesn't see them for days on end and they're having to deal with the children and they're panicking. And yeah, day-to-day life can get very tough. And we don't feel that we can say anything much about it because as soon as we do, we get but you're living the dream. You chose to move overseas. Suck it up. Yeah. So I'm on your site, one of your sites here, expatchild.com, which is an expat directory. It looks like it's an expat business directory with a subtitle, making overseas relocations easier for the whole family. So you have a lot of categories here, like books, counseling, education, expat services, financial kids stuff and a whole bunch of services. It must have That's taken right, you forever yeah. to get all this together. It's sort of grown over the years. It started off as expatchild.com. And then I had people wanting to advertise. I get people wanting to advertise mostly for free, a lot. So I set up a directory maybe a couple of years after I started Expat Child. They're sort of separate, but all come under me. Everyone knows my name, <laughs> that kind of thing. So you've done a really good job on the site. Did you do it yourself or did you have tech? No, I am actually tech. Wow, this is beautiful. (laughs) My my background is IT. Well, my background is huge. Finance, IT, media, publishing, writing. So, yeah, I do it all myself. I don't have a team. It is all just me. So how many moves did you yourself have? We've done three. We moved for the first time from the UK to Japan in... Oh, goodness, 2006, 2005. Oh, I can't even remember now. But yeah, we moved to Japan. and My daughter was just five. And then we moved from Japan to Berlin, just after the big earthquake. And then from Berlin to South Africa. And we moved back to the UK last year. Hopscotch in the world. So Definitely. Uh, 12 years overseas. So your daughter, is she an expert now? Yep, she's just turned 18 and finding it quite tricky to fit back into British life because she's not really lived here ever. So she's at college. Yeah, she's got a different outlook on life to that of her peers over here. Yeah, she's doing okay. She's doing well. So if you haven't already, may I suggest get her to keep a diary of her thoughts and, you know, she doesn't have to show anybody. It's just that... The expat kids are special people because it's the future world leaders, whether they want to be or not. That's <laughs> they, right. Yeah, They have this cross-border, cross-cultural 
experience built into their DNA. And this kind of global mindset and attitudinal adjustment capability is in huge demand. Oh, it really is. Yeah, I can I can see into her future a lot better than she can, very much of the moment. Okay, so I'll get back to you about some marketing ideas. Fantastic. Do together because I need some help too. Let's go deeper. I have a couple of specific questions for you. Okay. So how do you prepare the kids? Well, very carefully and obviously of age appropriateness. And understanding how a child thinks really helps. Up until about the age of seven, as long as they've got mum and dad around, or one or the other, then everything's fine. If once they get to about eight, nine, ten, that's when they start referring to their peers more for influence. And that's when it can start getting a little bit tricky. And moving with teenagers is a whole new ballgame but at least they can understand what you're talking about. So when so you move with a teenager, are you referring to someone who's 12, 13, or now 15, 16? Which is uh, worse? 12, 13. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unless you need the school thing. The whole school issue was quite tricky moving back to the UK. She basically had to miss a whole year of school because no school in the UK would take her. So, yeah, you need to time your moves quite carefully if you're moving to a country where they have exams at 16 and so on. So I'm going to presume, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that the schools in South Africa or in Japan were way different from the schools in the UK. And probably she mixed with other internationals and therefore matured quicker. Very much so. We've got a huge history of schooling behind us. and. In Tokyo, she went to the British school So, because we thought we were going to move back after four years, and it didn't really work out that way. So she went to the British school. But in Africa, they had, apart from the whole different year, the terms, the semesters, it was a British school that ran the IGCSE, which is a universal exam. And the thing that made it tricky was the year ends in January. Whereas in the UK, the year ends in July. Yeah, different weather, right? Yeah, yeah. So there's a whole... I mean, basically, when you choose a school for a child, you need to be able to look into the future. You need a crystal ball. So you need to know where you're likely to move after that particular posting. If you're going to be staying in one country forever, if you're emigrating, then you can easily put them into a local school and... You know, even if it's a different language, it's hard, but it makes sense for them to have local friends understand the local culture. But if you're moving from country to country, then international schools will give them education in their home language, whether that's a German international school or an English speaking international school, and they will get to meet the whole globe in one school. So putting a child into a local school is something a lot of people think is ideal, but it really is a a lot of hard work for the child and for the parents. So if, for example, I was moving to Germany for a couple of years and I thought, great idea, the child becomes bilingual in German, I'll put them into the German school system. 
that is a very, very hard thing for a child to do. They're in a new country, they're in a new school, in a language that they don't understand. As a parent, you also have to support them with that, deal with the school in a language you don't necessarily speak, and it is exhausting. So it's something to be thought of carefully. So another new product idea would be an automatic, an app, some kind of a program that automatically translates the spoken word to another language. You would yeah, that, could, buds, right? that would be fun, wouldn't it? Like the Babel fish in uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. That's got to be the answer. <laughs> it's got to be. It really has. So how do you prepare yourself? Okay, speak to me as a parent to a parent. I mean, you're you're the boss, you know. How do you get your head around this idea of what the kid needs and what you need in order to survive this ordeal? So moving overseas is so spectacularly complicated that it's impossible to think everything. And in the rush and in the packing and in the organization, it's actually very easy to brush off a child's concerns. So if they say that they're worried about whether they can take Teddy or if they're going to find a new friend, it's very, very easy just to say, don't be silly, of course you'll be fine. But it's something that happens to a child. The move is happening to the child. They're not making it happen. And the key is to own your decision. You've made the decision to move overseas for the good of the whole family. And your child needs to understand that you're making that decision based on what you truly believe is best. And the more that you own that decision, the less your child has to worry about, and they can carry on being a child. So being secure in your decision helps the child feel more secure. And then they can worry about what they need to worry about as to whether they'll have the right pillow in their bed or whether or not they'll be able to see granny at Christmas. So you've got to know yourself. You've got to be secure in yourself or at least pretend to be. But how do you do that? You have to listen to your child and you have to talk to them. I have actually heard of people that don't tell their child that they're moving until a couple of weeks before they go. Yeah, scary, isn't it? You sit down, you talk to the child, you explain, you look on a globe or on the internet, um, and you talk. But more importantly, you actively listen to your child, because they will quite often say, yeah, I'm fine with that, that's all right. But they'll have little worries in their head. I can remember when my daughter, she was literally just five when we were moving. And she, at that age, a child doesn't understand time or distance. So she thought that she could pop back home or she could go and see her friend at any time. So you have to explain very carefully what's involved and don't assume that they will understand that. They don't understand what next year means. They don't understand that a flight is 10,000 miles. So you actually have to listen and very carefully work through bit by bit what their little worries and fears are, because they're not little to that child. So how do you convey this image of loss of identity? What, for the child or for the partner? Well, (laughs) Hmm. which one do you want to talk about first? (laughs) (laughs) The child's identity is always evolving and that's something that would happen whether you were at home or abroad. Um, the spouse's identity, quite often we're very much tied to our job description. 
And when you go overseas and you've had to give up your job, you quite often find, and weirdly, it's other women that do this. They come up to you and say, oh, hello, what does your husband do? And you say, well, um, (laughs) so you explain where they work. Don't you want to know about me? No, they want to find out about where your husband works and whether that's a good connection for them. Luckily, I moved with, I've been self-employed for many, many years, and I moved with a freelance writing job. So I was able to continue with that particular identity. So it's not something that I personally have felt, but I understand from others that a lot of it is connected to the identity of the job. So you need to become secure in your own right, be secure in your own persona, and maybe find other ways of working. And networking, volunteering is very popular. And just being secure in your own right. So the traditional 20th century mode survives. (laughs) Oh, yes. Very much so. Very much so. So is there a right time to move? For the kids, yes, there is. And if at all possible, move between school years. But don't move at the beginning of the long summer holidays because you'll get there and there'll be nobody else around. And you'll have your kids to entertain for six weeks while you try and unpack. So if at all possible, spend the long summer holidays in your previous country or at home and move to your new country with a couple of weeks to go maybe and get your kid into school as soon as possible as that will help them settle in. It gives you a break to be able to unpack and find out where everything is, get the food shop done and so on. If you can't move in the summer holidays, try and move maybe Easter time because that gives the child a term to get used to the school before the long break and they can make friends and perhaps hang out with their friends during the summer holidays. In some countries, everybody leaves for the summer holidays. I'm thinking of places like the Middle East, for example. So you have this thing called the expat exodus, where everybody goes home to escape the heat. So it's not a good idea to move at the beginning of the summer holidays, unless you plan to travel around a lot. Thank you. Tell me about this issue of mental health. Yeah, that's an article I wrote, was it last week? maybe the week before, Mental Health Awareness Day. And apparently expats are twice as likely to have mental health problems as people who never move. And there's a lot to dig down into that. Everyone assumes that expat life is an absolute dream and you sip cocktails around the pool and have your manicure done every week and everybody's happy and everybody moves on a massive expat package. But this really isn't the case. And away from the expat bubble, life is actually quite quite a struggle. And you don't have your family around you. Some people are used to having a very close-knit family and a support system at home. And when they move, they don't find that support system. And even though you might have a helper Um, somebody to do your housework for you and everything looks from the outside as being wonderful, inside people can be crying and they don't feel that they can talk about it much. So I wanted to bring it to the forefront and 
let's just talk about it and get more people talking about it. Because everybody on social media always shows the prettiness, the good bits of expat life. And while they exist, no doubt about it at all, and it is fantastic, and you get to find aspects of yourself you didn't know existed, you get to see the most amazing places. Not everybody feels like that. And it's important to bring that to the forefront for people to recognise that expat life isn't necessarily the dream for everybody. Tell me about the Expatability Club. Well, that's a members-only club for people who want to work through all the practical aspects. Expat Child has got over 400 articles, and quite often you don't know what you don't know. So you can search for something like how to pack or how to prepare for the removals company, but you don't know that you need to do X, Y, and Z before the removals company arrive. So expatability, I set that up to merge and to condense all the articles on expat child into bite-sized chunks, one after the other, so people can work through at whatever point they are in their expatting journey. So I'm on your site, expatability.net, and uh, it's a beautiful site. It's very nicely done. Thank you. So in this section called The Reality of Relocation, you point out that, according to the research, almost half of all international assignments fail. Mm. And that's traced back to a lack of realistic preparation. Yeah. Do a deep dive on that. What would be realistic preparation? Okay, the main one that I've seen... So you have the worker who's moved overseas for their job. They've got a transfer to the, let's just go for Pretoria, as that was the last place I was in. So the worker's got a transfer to Pretoria office and the family go to. And the partner has given up their career as a nurse or a teacher, for example, expecting fully to be able to walk into a job in Pretoria. And that doesn't happen. And they completely expect to be able to go to work. But because of South Africa's very special rules about workers, they cannot get a job there. Sometimes you'll move somewhere on a specific visa, which means that the spouse cannot work. And they don't often expect that. And not all careers are portable. It's something else I wrote about recently. And you sort of assume that something like being an accountant or being a teacher would be portable and you could use it wherever you are in the world. But that isn't the case. And a lot of times I've met people who were just absolutely astounded that local companies weren't snapping them up because they had all these wonderful qualifications. So that's usually why a relocation fails. And it's usually connected to family. I've actually spoken to some people recently, and this is leading back into the corporate side of things. Firstly, the people that I spoke to were very worried that I was connected to a specific company and would talk to HR about their concerns, which is absolutely not the case whatsoever. Totally independent, totally secure and confident. And the other thing is, uh, quite a few companies now are trying to not 
transfer families. They're making the expat relocation package so low, so difficult, that families cannot move. And there was one individual, the company actively said that the worker must move on his own, must not bring his wife, because otherwise they wouldn't get the work done. He worked in sales. So that was a a company actively trying to split up a family for their own benefit. Sounds like a lawsuit. So intriguing. It was yeah. it was a surprise to me, and it was the first time I'd heard of it. But I know that the economic crisis around the world is is kicking in, and obviously it's cheaper to move one person than it is to move an entire family. Yeah, and don't move any furniture. That's right. Yeah. yeah. This is really interesting. We could talk forever about this. I'm really <laughs> enjoying I see on your site here you have a nice headline that says, and a great graphic, You don't always know what you need to know. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Where do you get the info? Well, from you, I guess. But how do people think about all this? I do it for them. Yeah. That's what I do. I love people. I've people watched my entire life and I treat people as individuals, but I'm also mass. I've got a huge bundle of common sense and can usually see through any problems to find the solution that they need. So I can usually work out what people need to know. So one of the things is, is that people, I'm generalizing, but one of the things that people think about when they're in this kind of situation is how do they fit in to a Mm. new thing? Or will I be accepted or my name or my skin color or the way I talk or whatever? So it's a psychological game, isn't it? gamification of expatibility or something. But isn't the idea really to keep your own identity and add value to what is going on in the new world rather than hide yourself and try to become another person? Oh, completely. I mean, there are some countries, obviously, where you're going to stand out. There is no way that I could pass for Japanese. And in Germany, everyone thought I was German. So you cannot necessarily integrate fully. You will always be an outsider. You can certainly try, and your children will find it easier if, they, you know, if they've been born in a different country and they stay there all their life. Then they'll have much more integration than a, an adult expat that just moved over five years ago. Identity is something that is, well, obviously very individual to everybody, And some people are tied up in it a lot more than others. And, you know, at some point you just have to accept who you are and whether or not you fit in. Is that really that important? If you don't feel you fit in, then maybe move somewhere else. I don't know. I mean, it isn't a question that can be concisely answered. So now what I want to do as we come near to a close here is and this is not a sales pitch at all, but what is the Expatability Club for and what does it do and is it expensive? Not expensive at all. It's so $50 plus for a quarter. And inside the club, there are loads of free books, free ebooks, uh, tools, tips, hundreds of little videos to help you 
work out what you pack where and how to cope in a plane journey with a two-year-old. And it's for anybody that's moving overseas. Um, I suppose it's primarily focusing on first-time expatters, but anybody moving from one country to another, also as part of the club, they get to talk to me. So what bigger bonus can you want? <laughs> well, it'll keep you busy. So you're an ombudsman, an independent advisor? I call myself an expat life mentor and consultant. I am me. I am totally independent and I help individuals with their move. So, yeah, an ombudsman could be an interesting way of, of phrasing it. So I'm still on the site, expatability.net, and I'm on a section that says, what to expect when you're expatting? So <laughs> you've, you've created a nice word there. I love it. Ready, set, yeah. expat. I am. I'm, I'm creating. Oh, that's what the British do, though, isn't it? <laughs> we invent new words. Yeah, that's great. You ought to invent some new word for Brexit. Oh, no, <laughs> you said the B word. <laughs> no, 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 no. no, I don't really care about that. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying not to. So in a summary, give me two or three things that I can take away and totally understand what we were just talking about. Okay. Moving overseas with your children isn't the nightmare you might expect it to be. Good. It's completely possible. It just needs a little extra planning, a little extra understanding, and a lot of listening to your child. And when you come to choose a school, the only thing that really works is having a crystal ball and being able to look into the future. Or you can buy my book and that will help you a little bit. And if you want to talk to somebody completely independent about it, then get in touch and just go for it. Expat life is really incredible and it's a wonderful way to bring up your children because they get to see aspects of the world that you couldn't possibly imagine in your home country. We've been talking with Carol Hallett Mobs, expat life mentor and consultant helping people navigate the challenges of moving and living overseas. Go to expatchild.com or go to expatability.net or the expat directory. Thank you, Carol, for being my special guest today, I've really enjoyed this, on globalradiotalkshow.com. Thank you, Carol. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. Goodbye. Now. Thank you. This is Ed Cohen signing off from San Diego. That was Carol signing off from the UK. Globalradiotalkshow.com. Yes, I think to myself. What a wonderful